If you're good at something, never do it for free. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I bought you. <laughs> Welcome back. We are the Podfellas, and thanks once again for listening to our entertainment podcast. I'm Myron, and joining me each week is Will. How's it going? <laughs> each week, we'll provide a film or TV review. Today, we'll be reviewing the Netflix film tiger tail and we'll be kicking off part one of our 10 over 10 series i'm really excited about this over the next 10 weeks will and i will be taking a look back at some of our favorite films will chose five and i chose five and uh, we're going to be kicking that off today with the movie the breakfast club written and directed by john hughes really excited about this cue the simple (laughs) minds intro music yep and and the fist in the air and the and the fist in the air freeze frame yeah Yeah, will and i are doing it right now we are doing it right now yeah don't you forget about me Ever, ever, ever. Anyway, so you know, uh, just to catch up a little bit, see what's going on with you. Uh, well, how have you been? Um, what have you been doing to pass the time? Anything you've been watching? Man, still working out, which has uh, been more of a push for me. Hmm. It's a good push. So I mean, it's still good. I'm keeping up with it. Okay. Uh, well, let me let me ask you this. There's a okay. there's a thing out that I just heard. Maybe it was a meme or something, but they say after quarantine, you're either going to be a chunk. A hunk or a drunk? So which one are you going to be after quarantine? A chunk, I, a hunk, or a drunk? Uh, I think it's going to be a chunk and a little bit of a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never heard of that meme, though. I didn't know that was going around. All I all I seen was like either everyone's going to be obese or fit. That's all I yeah. see. Yeah, well, so. I'm going to be a hunk and probably a drunk, <laughs> even though being a drunk is a serious roadblock to becoming a hunk. But I think yeah. I, I'm, I'm exercising enough to to outdo the chunk part. So yeah. Well, I'm I'm, tra- I'm trying to take a look at what you're drinking right now. Is that a truly in your hand? <laughs> oh, no. it's, it's a, is that a Corona. Claw? It's a Corona hard seltzer, and the reason oh, why it is alcohol. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm I'm uh, resigning myself to this because number one, there's zero carbs and it's low calorie, and there's about Good as much you. alcohol in this as a as like a beer. So. Yeah. Oh man, you've taken drink responsibly to a whole new level. Yep. No carbs. Drink, yeah, drinking responsibly to me doesn't really mean not drinking while you're driving. Even though, of course, <laughs> I won't do that. It means drinking so that you're not putting any carbs in your body. That yeah. is the real definition of drinking responsibly. Anyway, hundred percent, hundred percent. So what I, well, what I've been watching though too is, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard of the uh, cartoon uh, called Solar Opposites on Hulu. Mm-hmm. It is i think the same creators from rick and morty i don't know if you've heard of rick and morty yeah but that like you know rick and morty is hilarious and i do enjoy that show and it's a bit graphic and 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 Mm. you know is rated mature okay like i feel like solar opposites they took it to like the next level there is so much gore and so much cursing like I, I i was literally looking at like how did hulu pass this like this is ridiculous and all this is about are aliens who have their planets basically destroyed and so uh the, the civilization of that planet that's uh, only like a handful escape on pods and they try to find new places to live and one uh group uh basically find earth and now they're trying to leave because they're trying to find a planet that wasn't so overpopulated, but they landed on a planet that's overpopulated. So they're Got all it. pissed off and you just kind of live their life on, you know, what, how they're getting through that. So it's, it's, it's a pretty funny show. 
Interesting. Um, you had me at that. gore and cursing, so now I really Dude, want to watch it. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. Like it, okay. it's pretty ridiculous. But the All other right. show I actually started watching that was really impressed. Uh, I was really impressed by it. Uh, is Dead to Me with Christina Applegate? And mm. um, is that Netflix? It is on Netflix, I think. Okay. Is it on Netflix? Yes, it's on Netflix. Yes. All right. So, Dead to Me with Christina Applegate and Linda Car. Sorry, Cardellini. I think. Name. Cardellini. Yes. Yeah. My gosh. I just call her. Uh, what was it? Um, I said uh, Velma. That's all I yes. call her. Yes. <laughs> Velma. Velma. The Scooby Doo movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Just heat it up at three hundred and leave it in for thirty-five minutes. Thanks, Karen. It's Keep my take bringing... on Mexican lasagna. Great. Jeff and I can't imagine what you're going through. Well, it's like if Jeff got hit by a car and died suddenly and violently. Like that. Christina Applegate's character, like she loses her husband in a car accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she's going to this uh, like AA kind of like or, or meeting where, you know, how she mourns and yeah. how, she, how she'd be able to process through it. And that's where she also meets um, uh, Linda. Uh, yeah. Where then they become best like really close friends mm-hmm. however not to give it much away though like there's some really crazy secrets on linda's part on her okay. character linda so she uh you know her husband she talks about how her husband died but he actually didn't die she lied about that and and Basically, she becomes so close with Christina during that time, though, thinking that they both lost their husband. Like, Christina just goes ape shit. Like, she gets she gets so mad thinking, like, how can you lie about that and think you can come here and, and, and just and just do this? And she's like, well, that's because I had a hard time really telling the truth about me, like, wanting to start a family. Like, he wanted to start a family, but I went through five miscarriages. And so it was just and then he left me. So because of that, I just didn't know how to cope. I'm sorry, I lied, blah, blah, blah. But then when she says five miscarriages, like to me, like automatically, I thought, I feel like she's lying about that too because she comes off as a, compul- like all of a sudden after all this comes out, she seems like a compulsive liar. So her character is just a question mark, a huge question mark. And, and, and you're just trying to figure her out. And it's so intriguing mm. to, to watch. So. Well, you honestly had me at Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini because like low key, I, I really think that Christina Applegate is an amazing phenomenal actress probably one of the most underrated out there and linda cardellini is is doing amazing work in whatever movies that she's in she's actually yeah. going to be in um capone which we're going to talk about in, in a minute here um nice. but yeah yes, i think yes. i'm going to check that out so great duo such yeah. good chemistry you, yeah. you'll love it you should definitely watch it with hannah cool sounds so good what about sounds you good. though now moving on well, to you i've been uh doing my last dancing, watching The Last Dance. Uh, today is the finale. We're recording this on a Sunday, so super excited about that. That nice. is really one of the most captivating, entertaining shows I've seen in a while. Look at that. That's waterproof color right there. That's waterproof. Our biggest challenge is us. I am cursed with this mentality of competitiveness. Competition is an addiction. Every day was a battle. Dennis, get up here. Boom. They don't hear it. See Dennis for 48 hours. No matter what we did, it seemed like it was a story. Scotty was being selfish. When the trust is broken, it's sort of shocking. I never hated Scotty. Six championships in eight years. We were the greatest team ever. What time is that? I'm going to ridicule you until you get on the same level with me. You're making a free run of me. It was his team. My mentality was to go out and win. 
at any cost. But the the big thing is, you know, back in the 90s, uh, athletes were like on a different level than us, right? So basically they were kind of isolated and they said what they were supposed to say. Um, they were in commercials and they were almost treated like gods. And it's very different today in the, in the world of social media where athletes can just post like whatever is happening in their life on any given mm. day. And we have mm-hmm. this connectedness to them. So to see all of these people that I grew up watching, like Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, and you know they bring on others too, like Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley. Um, and we see them in their element, basically like Jordan, every episode, he has a glass full of scotch and he's smoking a cigar and they're like cussing and they're like just being really real and they're speaking from the heart and they're not delivering rehearsed lines. And it kind of takes away that, that curtain that was there, uh, back in the nineties. And that's why just seeing all these people in in a new light now, it's so refreshing and so intriguing at the same time. I think that's what the allure of of The Last Dance really is. That's a little bit of a discussion on what Will and I have been watching and what we've been thinking about during this quarantine. Wanted to give you guys a look at some future episodes. Next week, Will and I will be reviewing the film Capone, starring Tom Hardy and directed by Josh Trank. And then, of course, continuing on with our 10 over 10 series, we'll be uh, going through our second movie, which is The Dark Knight. Really, really looking forward to that. That's the movie that I chose, and Breakfast, The Breakfast Club is, of course, uh, a movie that Will chose. The week after that, we will be reviewing the Netflix movie, The Half of It, and then we will be continuing with the 10 over 10 series with a look at our third film, Battle Royale. So really looking forward to that. I haven't seen Battle Royale, um, and apparently what, from what I hear, this is the uh, precursor to The Hunger Games, the, the film that inspired it, but it's so much better is, is what I hear. Would you agree, Will? So, so one, one little uh, piece of information that actually isn't true is that the director and writer of The Hunger Games actually never heard of Battle Royale. It was supposedly just a coincidence that she I wrote it. I call BS. <laughs> Do you really? I, I kind yeah. of feel the same thing, too. But... Yeah, this Battle Royale, like, I don't know what it is, but I feel like the Japanese, when they do these kinds of films where it comes to just absurd premises... They don't pull any punches, right? They 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 freaking go all out, dude. Yeah. They just, like, it is so absurd, but yet so fascinating to see, like, how they just draw out a story like this. And yeah, I, I will say it is so... Just, it's so much more gory and very graphic than Hunger Games. Yeah. So sure. I feel like... In Japanese cinema, they're not afraid to uh, they're not afraid to just go for it, and I feel like that's why Japanese horror got really big at at some point. And mm-hmm. I'm sure I, from what I hear about Battle Royale, it's really really violent. So yeah, it's, I'm very interested, very excited to check that one out. Oh, dude, yeah. you're gonna love it. You're you're gonna love it. When I, I I saw this when I was back in college, and my buddy introduced me to it, and I was like, "What the f am I watching right now?" And he just <laughs> kept saying, "Watch this board, just the best board," and like every five seconds, and it just got me at the edge of my seat so yeah, yeah. cool you can enjoy it all right any thoughts comments suggestions or reviews or feedback on any of our content drop us an email at the podfellas podcast at gmail.com if you want to tell your friends about us let them know that our podcast can be found on the apple podcast app google play as well as spotify and now to our main review here is a brief look at the trailer for the film tiger tail You're my father. 
I don't even know how to talk to you. I never have. You are a heartbroken person. There are many things I never told you. That was a look at the trailer for the film Tiger Tail, written and directed by Alan Yang, starring Tai Ma. In this multi-generational drama, a Taiwanese factory worker leaves his homeland to seek opportunity in America, where he struggles to find connection while balancing family and newfound responsibilities. Now, Will, um, from what we've discussed, I think we both had a shared reaction to what we liked and didn't like about this film. So yes. let's kind of just get right to it. Let me ask you first. After watching this movie, let me know some of the things that you enjoyed, that you liked, maybe favorite moments, anything that resonated with you. The, right off the bat, uh, the two film mediums that the cinematography used to distinguish the past and the present, mm. I love that. I love yeah. the film grain. I love the colors. Mm-hmm. And then right when it would cut to present time of, of the film, it was just so clean, pristine. I was just like, oh man, it, it was just, it, it, it was able, you were just able to see like, okay, I get yeah. it. This makes it so much easier to follow in that sense. And that, that yeah. was brilliantly done. Agreed. Yeah. It was just, yeah. And, and also there's just the inevitable feeling of that nostalgia. I love when it comes to when you do film like that, like, oh, like old school film. It, it was just, I just loved it. It was so, it brought back a lot of good memories back in college when I was watching, you know, a lot of old school films that way. And mm-hmm. uh, I especially love the lighting choices he made yeah. uh, in, in the past, like the harsh tones of reds and yellow to really also bring out the, I think it was the 70s, 80s uh, time uh, yeah. during that time. Great job. Yeah. Um, if I could say one thing about that, it was almost as if it's like the equivalent of hearing a digital track on, on record for the first time. There's that yeah. film grain quality of the reds and yellows. It's like so much more vibrant uh, versus, yeah. uh, and I'm sure they did this on purpose. Um, you know, anything in the present day was like clean, digital, yep. sterile. And I think that really went a long way. Like so I, I do. pristine, all exactly. that stuff. You just, yeah. So yeah. this, but also on top of that, like the soundtrack awesome i thought that main soundtracks it just fits so well with the tones and the, and the film grain of of the when they would represent the past it was great like otis redding or or that and the the score the Otis well. one but the other the other score that the 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 soundtrack of the uh of the asian girl that, that would sing mm. on that on yes. uh, like he would take out the record uh record yeah great. i think that was in the trailer as well yeah yes i love that beat it was so it's just it was so fitting um what can i say about time off's performance as uh as pin yeah, uh, for Tai Ma and playing the older pin and Hong Chi Lee, who plays the young pin, mm-hmm. they came through effortlessly. Yeah, they did great. And and you couldn't help but to feel compassion for his disconnect with his wife, for, for Tai Ma's character and his wife, but even Hong, uh, Hong Chi Lee when he, uh, and his girl, his fiance at the time, um, mm-hmm. uh, where, uh, and that, 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 his wife named Zen Zen, like you obviously like that. That was just, it was so cringing to watch their relationship. The scenes with his daughter, like are especially depressing. And, and although it was easy to follow, it had enough depth for the story to reveal the details of the circumstances each character was going through. Mm-hmm. So with, with Taima, uh, and, and his daughter in the present day, like, like, holy crap, it was just so awkward and, and, and just so hard to really, it's like you're in the middle of the room just kind of seeing them and you're just like 
this is this is this is so tough to I, this is difficult to watch or maybe it was difficult to watch because maybe the acting wasn't the best well, in this yes, scenes. That, but i think we'll talk about that a little we'll later talk about that yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah but like i mean that at least pre- was present in terms of the awkwardness and and the the the, the, the disconnect so pinju coming from poverty but having ambition his dream of moving to America and finding greater opportunity was driven by his desire to bring his mother over so that she would not have to work anymore. The part that that made this film have momentum uh, also, though, was his true love for one woman named Yan. I think her name was mm-hmm. uh, Yan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that's correct. Yeah. Yuan, yeah. Yeah. If he stayed in Taiwan, uh, it would have made his life so much better with Yan if, if he would have stayed with her. But... However, like his opportunity to go to America was offered to him by his boss at the factory where he and his mother worked, which involved marrying his daughter, Zen Zen, uh, to which all expenses would be paid. You know, like that, that was the one thing too that I did, I did enjoy was like, what do you value more? Like, what mm-hmm. is it like in your life when it comes to like your dreams and ambitions, but then true love? Mm-hmm. I think that uh, in the film, the relationship between Pin and Yuan was so enjoyable to watch, and and I and I wished it turned into something more. Like that was mm. one of my favorite parts of the film was their relationship. So when you say it, you wished it would have turned into something more, are you referring to in the flashbacks or in the present day when they see each other again for that first more, time in years? M- more about in the end, yes. Yeah. Like like the ending of that, I wish it would have. Yeah. It was just a, more. It was such a fleeting conversation, and yeah. you're, you know, and, and they make it in the movie where that that conversation is what pushes Pinju to uh, reach out and you know be more uh, of a father figure to his daughter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I also agree with you that I wish it would have led to something more, at least another moment or two of just emotion. It yep. felt so restrained, and then it just ended, you know. Yeah, and I get that that it was taken on a neo realistic ending approach. Where it's like not everyone can have a happy ending. Not mm-hmm. anything can always be what you want. Yeah. So in that case, I thought it's respectable. Like, okay, I respected the way they ended it. Going into what you were saying about what we didn't like, sorry, not sorry, but Time All really had to carry the performance for Christine Ko, the da- who played the daughter. Mm-hmm. Her character expressing the need to connect with her father and wanting her father to give her the love she's been missing was so robotic and felt so forced. It, it just looked as though she would say her dialogue and forget she was supposed to attach an emotional trait to it. Like yeah. she, it was like an afterthought. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I have to agree with you. I felt the same thing. And the only thing I could think is that, uh, you know, I'm not going to talk about this in my review is that those scenes are hard to act because it's about expressing tension by not saying anything at all. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, I felt like those scenes could have been written a lot better. I think the extent of their uh, dialogue was about her offering to do his dishes or her telling uh, her father, oh, it's okay. You could leave those. I'll do the dishes. And then her saying it with like this pain look on her face. So the, I feel like there, there should have been a lot more to those scenes. So Yes, definitely more uh, meat, some more elements yeah, attached yeah. to that. But yeah. the other thing, though, too, was... Every every scene that deals with the past, I had no problem with. Nothing nothing yeah. was wrong. Neither it, did I. But yeah. it was more the present performances, because when the present performances, like, it felt more melodramatic and a bit theatrical. Like mm. the beats of dialogue felt mistimed, and and like you know we were saying like Pin and his daughter Angela was just the chemistry was flat. 
Yeah. And, and so that that was just the only issue. Agreed. So, Agreed. But yeah, that I mean, basically, other than that, like overall, what I got from this film, <laughs> in terms of like something thematic that resonated with me, is never settle. I don't know. I just hmm. I just really wish he stayed in Taiwan and realized like, look, yes, like. I mean, is this is this a spoiler? If I would tell him about, you know, how no. he wanted to bring his mother over. Yeah. But when he finally gets that chance to bring his mother over, she doesn't want to come. Even though his mother his mother said in the beginning, yeah, I'll go with you. Yeah. And now she doesn't want to come. But that's such an Asian thing. Which is like, know. yeah, which is like, uh, then why did I do this? And I'm sure that made him more bitter. And yes. like, Hannah and I were wondering, it's like, oh, so is he going to go back to uh, Taiwan now? But then, of course, um, his wife gets pregnant and they end up staying. So I'm sure there's some bitterness that comes from that. But uh yeah. So I, I feel like this movie draws a very distinct line between uh, practicality and romanticism. The, ro- mm-hmm. the romantic part of us would be like, oh, she, he should never have gone to uh, America. He should have America. never married Zenzen. He should have stayed with Yuan. But then the practical side is I need to look after myself and my family and do the right thing for the people that I love. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, uh, um, I feel like in real life, I, we're probably going to be more inclined to do what's more practical, you know, and rarely does romanticism and romantic notions and ideas control our, our decision-making, but yeah, it would have been nice. I have to agree with you that he, you know, stuck it out and stuck with his emotions and, and kind of saw where things went with Yuan, but you know, yeah. And I, I know that there was a little bit of clarity, like there was a little bit of clarity in the end when, um, when Yuan and Pin meet and he asks her, did you see me when I was driving away? Yeah, in the car. I, yeah. In the car. And she said, yes. And says, why didn't you like tell me? Yeah. And I think this also comes into play with the whole social class system again, right? Like she comes from a wealthy family and he's like yeah. nothing. And so he wanted to either saying like, want to make something of himself and prove something of himself in yeah. order to, you know, hopefully like. I don't know, one day, I don't know if he was even thinking about ever divorcing Zen Zen or whatever, or even thinking about like, you know, like this is not going to last long and then going back to her or whatever. It was just, I don't know. To me, that was a little bit of clarity, but it was still a little confusing because it's like, dude, like, but she doesn't care. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. she really did not care about your social status. Yeah. And that didn't. you could have made, you could have gone to America, like if you were to stuck with her, because yeah. I'm pretty sure like there would have been opportunities still. So yeah. So once again, yeah, kind of, he probably thought he had no chance with her, and so mm-hmm. he didn't want to miss an opportunity. Um, which I, I honestly is what I think most people would have done. But in movies, it's funny. Uh, we we go to watch people do romantic things because rarely in real life do we get the chance to enjoy them ourselves. So seeing him do what's practical is probably what we would have done, but something that we wish he didn't do in, in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> true. Anyway, You're probably yeah. right. Yeah. True story. So what about you? Well, okay. First off, I will say what I liked is, uh, you know, the story of immigrants coming to the United States and finding a place for themselves is a timeless uh, story. And it's easy for us to relate to that. Um, but the movie could have, in my opinion, done more with the present day scenes and the father daughter dynamic between yes. uh, the daughter, Angela and uh, pin. And he's referred to as Grover. That's his American name. I have no idea why his name's Grover, but uh, for the purposes I of my review, never caught that. That's new yeah, information to me. I didn't catch Grover? that either. Yeah. On the IMDB page, it says his name is Grover. So I'm, I'm gonna stick with Grover here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. 
So between Grover and Angela, like I was saying, the flashbacks, however, were very effective. They were really well active, acted by young Grover, played by Hong Chi Lee, and we talked about that, and young Zen Zen. Um, and the scenes with them captured the isolation and the weariness from coming to a foreign country where you don't know the language or really have much money to begin with. Mm. Um, I thought that was some of the best scenes in the film. That and the flashbacks, of course, to when they were in Taiwan. The film was also shot beautifully, especially in the flashbacks, where kind of like Will mentioned, the reds and the yellows dominated the color palette. And then there's that layer of green, which... I mean, yeah. it, it it felt palpable. It did feel a little fake because, I mean, from as you and I will know, what they probably did is shoot it digitally and then just throw some grain on there in post. But um, I, I thought it was so? effective. Yeah, I thought it mm. well, it's something that maybe you and I would need to look up. But that that's True. my guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that I thought the movie really captured is the monotony of working really, really, really hard. There is this uh, passage of time montage where we see um, Grover going to the, I believe it's like a liquor store, and you see him open and close, open and close, open and close. The seasons change, snow falls, and then he just does this for years and years and years. Um, and I thought that captured kind of what it is to move here and, and kind of start off in a dead end job really, really well. And it's probably something that my parents went through and maybe yours too, Will. Same, um, yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting to see that in a film. Um, Time Off, of course, is always really, really, really good. And I think he's a bit of a legend when it comes to Asian American actors. I mean, going all the way back to like Rush Hour or Arrival, and he's even been in like Veep. I think he has like almost 170 film credits, which is pretty amazing. And I know, Will, you got to shoot an interview with him, which must have been a blast, right? Oh, man, he was such a like wonder to, to yeah. interview and even talk to afterwards. Hmm. He's like the grandpa I never had, but even though I, I love my grandpa, but he was like that grandpa <laughs> that had so many awesome stories. Like, yeah, I'm sure this guy was also, I think, involved with the Black Panthers back in the back during the mm. uh, Vietnam War and whatnot. And it was crazy to hear their stories. Yeah. Um, lastly, I think the film captures perfectly the melancholy of missed opportunities and the sadness of thinking, "What if?" And you know, I, I think this movie captures real life and real decisions really well. So that's what I liked. Um, in terms of some of my favorite moments, uh, I already kind of discussed them a little bit. Uh, the entire montage where uh, you know Grover is opening and closing up shop at the liquor store. Uh, mm-hmm. Another little moment, which I thought was really necessary, because um, Grover and Zen Zen don't really have any scenes where they have they have chemistry, or they're trying to make it work, or they're tr- where they're trying to kind of you know uh, talk and open up to each other. But there's a scene when when Grover uh, basically buys a small little toy keyboard and says, you know, I know I've been working a lot, but I was thinking we can maybe learn to play piano together. And you see a look of hope in Zen Zen's eyes. And then we see after a passage of time. Very tiny though. Very tiny glimpse of hope. (laughs) Yeah, very tiny. (laughs) It was not, it was very apparent that like, it, this is not going to go anywhere. This marriage is going to sh- yeah. go into shambles. <laughs> yeah, it's because like right away they cut to a passage of time and then that little toy piano has a cover on it. It's collecting dust. And then you see all these books sitting on top of it. And yeah. as sad as it is, I feel like that is kind of a, a, a symbolic of what happens in life. You have these hopes, you have these desires, and then the reality sets in of you know hardship and lack of time and fatigue, and all of a sudden those things that you, that you wanted to do you never end up doing. So I thought that that little scene captured it uh, really, really well. Do you think um, it also involves routine and monotony? Yes. Yeah. 
And I think mm-hmm. that's another thing that this movie really gets at is uh, what it does to you if day in and day out you do the same thing over and over and over again. And yes. you do it to try to accomplish your dream. But after years and years of being bludgeoned <laughs> over the head with tedious work, what happens to that dream? Do you even care anymore? And that's something that this film, I think, um, uh, examines a little bit. Um, mm. So... I'm going to talk a little bit now about what surprised me, and that's going to segue into what I didn't like about the movie. What surprised me was the lack of a clear narrative or direction early on in the movie. Um, that's not a good or bad thing. I mean, two episodes ago, I just raved about how great Tree of Life was, even though it had no narrative purpose or direction at the beginning. Uh, here, though, it's a little bit harder to, to um, fully digest the movie. In the first 30 to 40 uh, minutes of the movie, we see Grover's empty life and a strained relationship with his daughter in the present day. And we flash back to scenes of Grover's life as a young man living in Taiwan. Uh, we, we are seeing these scenes, but we, we aren't really seeing what is connecting them and what this movie is about and kind of what the end goal is. So that was a little bit tough for me uh, because I didn't know exactly what was happening and how to make sense of what I was seeing. And then eventually uh, in the flashback scenes after Grover and Zenzen moved to uh, the States, uh, I started to get a sense of, okay, this is kind of what's happening and where we're going and, you know, why we're seeing what we're seeing. So, um, Mm. yeah, I I thought there would be more uh, format and structure to the movie. Um, And then that kind of flows into what I didn't like. And it's what you didn't like, Will. Yeah, those scenes with Angela, played by Christine Coe, and Grover, played by Tai Ma, they are cringeworthy. And uh, <laughs> it's hard, because those scenes have a lot... They're basically what is unsaid, and that strained feeling you get when you're in a room, and you have to talk to them, but you don't want to, and you share no common ground. So trying to show that in a movie is always hard, but... You know, there was, in my opinion, probably a better way to handle these scenes than what we saw. And also, it would have helped if they had chemistry, which I feel like they they don't. Um, That's what I didn't like. And sadly, that is actually the backbone of the movie, because Mm -hmm. if you, yeah, it's that strained father-daughter dynamic, which pushes Grover to have those flashbacks. And that's kind of those flashbacks and his, you know, relationship that never was with Yuan, who, by the way, played by Joan Chen, who looks still looks amazing. The theme that I saw in this movie is that I feel like the path to accomplishing your dreams might eventually make it so that the dream itself doesn't matter anymore. And after a while, like I have to ask the question, did Grover even remember why he came to the States to begin with? Uh, yeah. There's that scene where uh, Zenzen asks for a divorce and then he doesn't say things like, I, but I love you. I want to make this work. He says, but I've done everything. I've been a good husband. I never cheated on you. I, this house, you know, he's literally just running down a laundry list of his accomplishments Track without, list, yep. yeah, yeah. And there's really no emotion or like feeling behind them. He, it's, it's probably what gives him peace. Like, oh, I came to the United States and left the woman I love. And I accomplished these things. And that was probably the only piece he had in his own life. And he, yeah, uh, there are some deeper themes here in this movie that I thought it could have examined. But, um, you know, it it succeeds in some areas and fails in others. So uh, that leads me to my next question, Will. What is your final review of this film? I give this film a three out of five stars. Overall, 
it's funny uh, how you mentioned when it comes to you know the the, the cons of the film, where mm-hmm. you know for Angela and Pin, uh, and the and their relationship, uh, the relationship. Yeah, like whenever you see a disconnect and a, a daughter yearning for his father's, uh, her father's love, and a father trying mm-hmm. to, you know, connect with her daughter, but you know, there's that awkwardness that that comes with it and that that difficulty. Like, it's so funny that we look at that and we go, yeah these were awkward scenes and these were tough to watch scenes. But the other side note though, too, is that for us, we, uh, you know, um, we, I think I would assume that we both think that this is a, this is a watchable film. This is a film that you should at least watch once. Definitely. I was reading some articles. Like there are so many Taiwanese people who hate this film. (laughs) I can see that. Yeah. Cause they're all in the same manner that I would, you know, you and I would agree that even if it was a Korean film, but played by, I don't know, non-Korean actors, yeah, we're going to have our ish with that, right? So, yeah, the Taiwanese, like, critics were all like, I'm from mainland Taiwan, like, Tai Ma is from Hong Kong, and he's trying to do a Taiwanese accent. It was just, I can't I can't stand listening, all, this, all these things. It was just so funny to see just that end of the spectrum of the Taiwanese community watching mm. this film. Interesting. So... But other than that, dude, I mean, I still, this is still a film out of three stars. Like this is still a film that is um, something you should watch at least once. So So you give it three stars? I give it three stars. Yeah. Got it. So what about you? Uh, I give it three stars just barely. And that's because I'm rounding up. Uh, I kind of put it in between (laughs) two and a half and three. Uh, this movie to me is really a missed opportunity. Uh, the power of the story comes from the identifiable nature of the typical immigrant story. Uh, we yeah. all can connect with that. Uh, maybe those that have been in America longer uh, can't really do that. Um, but yeah, I feel like they have such a great premise, that really relatable story of coming somewhere, starting with nothing and ending up uh, you know, where you eventually get to. However, I feel like Tiger Tail, um, from a story perspective, fails to add anything more to that. And they also don't really give the viewer uh, really anything, any sort of meat to really care more for the characters, apart from projecting our own stories on onto them. So if I was a non-Asian American, like fifth generation um, person watching this movie, I may completely miss it altogether. So mm. at the same time, there were some powerful elements and uh, it was shot well. Uh, a couple of good performances by the those in the flashbacks. And Tai Ma is, of course, always brilliant. So that is why I give it three stars. All right, so that was our look at the film Tiger Tail. It can be seen on Netflix. It's streaming there now. We wanted to give you a brief look at the trailer for Capone, as well as a trailer for The Dark Knight, which is part two of our 10 over 10 series. Here are those trailers. How about it for our good friend Al, ladies and gentlemen? Do you know what the difference is between Adolf Hitler and Al Capone? Hitler's dead. Capone lives like a king in Florida. He has full-blown dementia. I have reason to believe it could all be an elaborate act. What's this about? We have information that your client may have tucked away a very large sum of money. You can drop the act now. You got goons walking around.
guys like you own this place, $10 million. Maybe I can get him to talk. He's gonna go on rampage. We made a promise. Someday we was gonna make it big. The only thing that really matters is how a man treats his family. with knives and lint. Evening, Commissioner. Why so serious? Where is he? People are dying. What would you have me do? Endure. You can be the outcast. You can make the choice that no one else will face right choice. Gotham needs you. A little fight in here. I like that. Then you're gonna love me. Now that's more like it, Mr. Wayne. <laughs> it's all part of the plan. Come on, hit me! Let's put a smile on that face. <laughs> now I'm looking forward to this for Tom I'm Hardy's excited. performance. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think uh, he goes a little off the reservation in, uh, from the from just judging by the trailer, but I I would love to see that. I am a Tom Tom Hardy fan, so. Uh, we'll be reviewing that next week, and uh, that was also we also had a look at the trailer for The Dark Knight, and I don't think this movie needs any ex- explanation. It is the benchmark for modern comic book films today. Yes. So uh, we'll be looking at that, and uh, we might even have a uh, guest star, uh, you know, calling for our look at The Dark Knight. Uh, so we'll surprise you with that next week. And now on to what I feel is the main event uh, for this podcast here. 10 over 10 series, our look back at 10 of our most favorite influential films that we've seen. And Will chose this one. Uh, It is The Breakfast Club. Here is a look at the trailer. It is now 7.06. You have exactly eight hours and 54 minutes to ponder the error of your ways. Any questions? Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? A brain, a beauty, a jock, a rebel, and a recluse. Can't believe this is really happening to me. Before this day is over, they'll break the rules. (coughs) Chicks cannot hold a smoke. That's what it is. 
bare their souls. I'm an infomaniac. Are your parents aware of this? Take some chances. Being bad feels pretty good, huh? And touch each other in a way they never dreamed possible. Why'd you do that? Sonny, you wouldn't. The Breakfast Club. They only met once. I don't want to be alone anymore. You don't have to be. But it changed their lives forever. I mean, I consider you guys my friends. I'm not wrong, am I? Universal Pictures presents Emilio Estevez, Paul Gleason, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy in a John Hughes film. Why are you being so nice to me? Because you're letting me. The Breakfast Club. Before we get started, I wanted to go through a few fun facts that maybe you did or didn't know about The Breakfast Club. So I'm going to read it and then um, I want you to let me know what your thoughts are. So first off, Ali Sheedy actually auditioned for the part of Samantha in 16 Candles. Mm. And after after uh, John Hughes wrote the script for The Breakfast Club, she remembered Ali Sheedy and remembered her as having like a goth look because she was wearing black eyeshadow. And then she ended up getting cast in this movie. Uh, did you like Ali Sheedy in The Breakfast Club? I did. Even though with the minimal amount of dialogue she had, like it, it, she just had the look and she mm-hmm. had the body language. She was just right off the bat when I saw her <laughs> when when she was when when she was drawing uh-huh. <laughs> and on on the table yeah and and then and then getting dandruff, dandruff yeah. <laughs> yeah and just her reaction of how much she was just in her own world <laughs> I was like this girl she's freaking awesome <laughs> yeah she's awesome yeah. I love her. and like her huge sugar like her her sugar obsession. <laughs> when they're mm-hmm. having lunch like she just she, she i loved her she did such a phenomenal job playing the basket case and, and yeah. just really being off-putting and mm-hmm. and timing it just right even with the script when when um when the other group of uh of the of the guys would have a conversation you know she would come in listening and and she would just say one word ha like she did that one thing yeah. ha and then they all look back at her like like what are you and then she just just looks at them very sternly and i don't know yeah. she just had it so yeah in my opinion, she was the most well-written character in The Breakfast Club, and she hands down was the best actress in The Breakfast Club. My opinion, my yes. humble opinion. Yeah. Yes, and you say when you say well-written too, it's just like it's funny because like like I said, it was just all, it was all body language. Yeah. And 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 just presence, and she mm-hmm. had that. Mm-hmm. So I loved. Yeah, I think yeah, Allison uh, or Ali Sheedy, she was just great. I loved right. Allison. Yeah, cool. I loved it. All right, and a few more things here. Apparently, uh, The Breakfast Club was not the favorite title for the producers. There was a few other titles that were being thrown around. A couple, a couple of them were, uh, one was The Library or Library Revolution, and the other one was Lunch Bunch. So, Will, comparing these two to the title that they ended up with, did they end up on the right title? Was yes. The Breakfast Club the right? Okay. What the frick? Library Revolution? No. <laughs> Lunch Bunch? What the frick? Yeah. No. The Breakfast Club? Spot on, you know, which is funny because you know they call it one of the titles is Library Revolution. I would say like eighty percent of the movie takes place in a library. So if you're watching this movie with a producer hat on, you're thinking, oh, like I could literally probably because back then in the eighties, you know, it's harder to make a movie today. Cameras, you can buy a four K camera for like I don't know a couple grand, and if you can get access to a school library, you can go shoot the Breakfast Club on a budget of like five grand. I think. 
Will it be as good? Dude, Probably not. But I the, filmed in yeah. libraries. I yeah. filmed at my public library for my short film that I had yeah. to do with my buddy. So, mm-hmm. and we did it for free because they were yeah. like we were lucky enough to get really good relationship with like the and and with the with the librarian. But at the same yeah. time, no one was really in there because <laughs> yeah. everything's online now. So yeah, it's more like a museum. All right, a <laughs> couple more things here. So John Cusack, uh, and I would say he's not so much Mr. 80s, but Mr. Early 90s, was originally cast as John Bender, the role that went no, to Judd Nelson. No, So no. did they cast the right guy? Yes, they did. Judd Nelson was perfect. I think John Cusack, um, he, he's, I don't know, like he can play a punk, but he doesn't look like a punk. Hmm. He, he doesn't look like a rebel to me. So he's too, he, he's too much of a, he's too, a little bit too much of a pretty boy in that sense, like Here's what I think. I think okay. Jud- I have to disagree with you because I think Judd Nelson came off as too angry and too dark. I think for someone in this role, there almost needed to be a little bit of a, a boyish immaturity to kind of sell the fact that this anger might be slightly naive and slightly uh, from, you know, some it may be deep part of, of himself that never grew up. So I think he could have been better. I can't but say he's definitively. Too much of a nice guy. Yes. He's he's it's, like he ha- he has the nice guy vibe. Right, but at the same time, even though I think he could have been better in the Breakfast Club, I think it would have hit, hurt his career long term, because I think he was in Sixteen Candles, if I'm not mistaken. But he hit yes. it big as like the lead in Say Anything, and that's kind of the guy that we saw we see him as now. That you know, charismatic romantic comedy lead. If he ended up being known as the rebel from Breakfast Club, I think that would have kind of typecast him a little bit. So I think it ended think up well for John Cusack. Even even trying to imagine him right now going up playing playing Bender and going up to uh, uh, was it. Emilia Estevez character where they're talking about like I don't believe you like your parents aren't you know abusive whatever and he's like oh no and he shows him the the cigar burn mm-hmm. and he's like do I you know like just that intense moment I'm like no I can't see John I can't see John trying to yeah. pull that off all right last little bit here and it's not really anything up for discussion but maybe a little uh, uh factoid that people might find interesting the high school they use for the Breakfast Club is the same high school they use for Ferris Bueller's yeah. Day Off also <laughs> a so John cool. Hughes movie yeah I love it all right so those are some facts uh take it as you will some may be interesting to you others may be like all right just get to the review but i thought it it would be fun to talk about so anyway yeah so i want to first start this with you this question because you know you're 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 more the 80s kid than i am i guess (laughs) thank you question mark i think Um, but I mean, I'm just saying, you know, you, you know, you're, you're the, you're the older one. I'm not going to say like, you're much, you're not much older, but yeah, you're, you're the older one. And I thought, okay, I'm going to, I, I know, I know like this is something a bit more up my alley, ask with, up your alley, I guess. Yes. So <laughs> I just want to ask you first, do you yes. remember when you first watched this film? And mm-hmm. if you, and then when you rewatched it, does this movie have the same effect okay. and resonance with you? So. All right. Well, I was, I think, four or five when this movie first came out. I had heard about it, and uh, I have uh, actually an older sister, 10 years my senior. So mm. that put her into her teen years. So, of course, I heard about it. And, uh, you know, I, I saw scenes from it. Never, you know, from A to B all the way through. Um, just saw scenes from it. And, you know, they're the iconic ones, like the shots of, of the guys dancing uh, in the library. 
Um, it wasn't until I would say maybe about 10 years ago when I ended up watching it on HBO all the way through. And it definitely resonated uh, far more with me. And I got a stronger sense of, of what the movie was trying to say about the youth of America or just youth in general. Um, and personally, uh, I feel like the way we view teens, the way teens view adults and the way that maybe teens even look at each other, though, has changed a great deal from yes. the 80s. In the 80s, it was a lot more black and white. It was, you know, us against them. And it's like, we are who we are. You are who you are. I think parent-kid dynamics have changed. Even, like, student-teacher dynamics have changed. And what's funny is, uh, I think, here's an example of of how things have changed. And maybe even of how uh, movies today look at high school 21 Jump Street, right? Which is, by the way, a much smarter movie than I think people give it credit for. It illustrates this change in perspective when Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum on their first day of school, you know, they're undercover and they're way older than everybody else. They go there and they're trying to like kind of blend in. And then they see um, Franco and his gang of friends, right? Uh, Dave Franco. And then they find out that these kids are actually very culturally sensitive. They're talking about like saving the environment. They all do really, really well in school. And Channing Tatum, you know, is, has the idea that, you know, he has to establish dominance and kind of say, yeah, I'm the guy, I'm the alpha male here. So he punches a kid out and then he tells him that the music he's listening to is gay. Hey, yo. Hey. Is that your car? Yeah. What's that thing get? Ten miles to the gallon? Nah, try like seven. <laughs> what about you? Biodiesel dog. It smells like egg rolls. Yeah, it does. Runs on leftover fry oil from Hunan Palace. But we try to ride bikes when we can. Global crisis and whatnot. Whatever, man. I don't care about anything. Oh, you don't care about the environment? It's kind of fucked up, man. Hey, hey, will y'all shut the hell up? I'm trying to study. <laughs> Look at him. He's trying. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually trying. What a nerd. Look at the nerd. Look at the nerd. Look at the nerd. Look at the, look at the nerd. Who are you calling the nerd, man? I'm sorry, what? Oh! oh. 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 Shit, dude. Hey, are you okay, man? Hey, what the hell? Are you serious? I'll turn that gay-ass music off. You punch me because I'm gay? What? No. I... Oh, come on. That's not cool, man. That is really insensitive. I didn't punch him because he's gay. I punched him, and then he's happened to turn out to be gay afterwards. I was gay when you punched me! In a weird way, it might have been homophobic not to punch you just because you were gay. Right. I feel like today it's much more widely accepted that kids shouldn't be labeled. And they're so much more careful to not bully each other and to be more aware of of their feelings. And this is very much different from the 80s. And, you know, even in in The Breakfast Club, there's that scene where Emilio Estevez talks about how he just beat a guy up just just because, you know, and that's why you ended up in there. Um, and I feel like today it's also more well, there's obvious more to that, though. Yeah. There's more to that, though. Yeah. Why he beat up the kid, though. Yeah. So. His his dad. Right. His yes. relationship he with wanted, his father. Yeah. Because he looked up to his father and how awesome he was. But when he was in high school, he wanted to like, live up to that reputation yeah. and, and doing something that like leaves a mark before you, know, you leave high school, which I still think is relevant today. You know? Yeah. Very, very true. Um, yeah, I could, I could see that. Um, I think it's also a lot more obvious that parents today are more likely to be their children's cool friends rather than the strict <laughs> yeah. disciplinarians. And it's, I feel like it's a lot more likely that kids are going to go with their parents to a cool concert or even literally go to like Coachella or go to like sporting <laughs> events and hang out, right? Or some EDM concert and rave yeah. it out. Yeah, exactly. It's so weird. 
Yeah. And I think the combination of how kids see other kids and how parents and their kids interact, I feel like that makes his movie a little bit dated.、Uh, and it doesn't help that the performances by the adults are all really bad. Like when I was watching this a week ago, I cringed. In the opening scene, when the students were dropped off by their parents. Yeah. Yeah.、Um, at the end of the day, the climax of the film, which is basically these students sitting around and they realize that they're a lot more connected and they have a lot more in common than they originally thought, that still resonates and that still connects. Because、yes. at the bottom line, every person, whether you're young or old, you really want to find that sense of community. And there are things that、uh, unite all of us that we may not see up front. So that's something that still holds true. And that's something that I think why this movie still works and why it works so well. So, and I do have to say that starting from that scene where they're connecting and opening up, up through the end of the movie, which is about 30 minutes long, it's a perfect film from that moment on, I would say.、Hmm. So. Yeah. Okay, okay. Nice. How about you? See, it's, Does, it's good, though, that you went first because I wasn't born yet. Yeah. And you were. <laughs> Thanks. So, just joking. You were a glimmer in your mother's eye. I was a glimmer in my mother's you're, eye.、Yes. You're, you were swimming in your dad's gonad. <laughs> yes, at the time, yes. yes. So, but yeah, I, I mean, I do agree with the、uh, with majority of what you were saying. I think that I believe that this film. Is an honest illustration of teens navigating the social dynamics of high school、uh, during the 80s. If it's one thing that this film still resonates, at least from what I can witness, being even though I've been out of you know, high school for 16 years or so, like, there's still, you still have your groups. But I think that there's more of an acceptance though. Like, if one person from a different group wants to kind of you know, go out and hang out with, with this other group, like with, whether it's jocks, Or nerds, or whatever. Like,、mm-hmm. I feel like even those terms are kind of kind of disappearing. Like,、mm-hmm. it, it's it's just more like we know what you are, but we don't have to label it kind of thing.、Mm-hmm. I feel like that there's a bit more acceptance there nowadays. Yeah. And so, and, and it's okay to, <laughs> to, to fluctuate between amongst the groups. So,、yeah. I, I think that that is, that is what's happening nowadays. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. And, and from what you were saying earlier, it isn't so much black and white anymore. Yeah. It, it is becoming a bit grayish. So. Yeah. So,、um, you know, one of the things we wanted to talk about is is the movie as good as we remembered it?、Uh, we talked about that a little bit already.、Uh, another yes, question me, we had is 100%. Yeah. Were the performances <laughs> as good as you remember them? Here's the thing about movies that bring about so much nostalgia is that sometimes、uh, our ability to watch them、uh, as a movie rather than, you know, like、uh, something we remember from when we were growing up, to just be able to judge it. Uh, very black and white, it, become, it can become very hard to do that. For example,、uh, I look back in the 80s and there are some really flawed movies that I absolutely love. And even I can try so hard to just be judgmental and to not like it now that you know, we're far more critical about the films you watch. But I, I just can't.、Uh, and there are movies like Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox that I'm sorry,、oh, I, I love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also Rocky IV, which is. Honestly, pretty bad, but I, I just I love it. I, I can't look past that. you know I, I can't look past the, the being a five year old watching it in a movie theater, seeing this little you know, Rocky Balboa beat up on this gigantic communist Russian. It, it's, I, I, I'm still that five year old kid when I watch that. But for The Breakfast Club, unfortunately, I don't have that same connection. So I felt like you o k n when w I just rewatched it, I was able to be a lot more、um, critical of it. 
couple of things I don't like about this movie. The adults all seem very negative with no real convincing rationale as to why. Principal Vernon is really, really mean. I mean, there's that scene with Judd Nelson where I think he gives him like, I think he gives him detentions until he's like 30, you know, next Saturday and next Saturday and next Saturday and next Saturday, you know? And then I'm like, why is this guy so mean? Like if this guy doesn't even care for the well-being of his students, because obviously he's doing that with malicious intent, right? And then later he has a scene with the custodian, of course, Carl. And, you know, we hear a little bit about his backstory. He's just become bitter and disillusioned. But that realization doesn't really become anything, you know. Um, And, of course, the custodian, Carl, is an interesting character. And we see that he already knows who Brian is. Brian played by uh, Anthony Michael Hall. But that really doesn't go anywhere. Um, He's like this. He's like that. Like the janitor is like that. um, The wise man, the sage. He sees everything. Knows yeah, everything. that token, you know, that, that yeah. special token. Yeah. Yeah. The token guy that sees what's going on and gives advice and that mm-hmm. type of guy, right? Yeah. Um, and I feel like, you know, today I'm watching this movie. I When I watched it, I'm looking at it through the lens of, of 2020. And all anyone wants to know is why. I think people are also far more uh, intrigued by villains and why they do what they do, you know? So if this movie was redone, I'm sure it could be just about principal vernon finding out his his uh, meaning in life and being able to soften his own heart to become a better more you know uh relatable principal to his students i feel like maybe it would take that kind of a uh, angle if, if this is redone today one example of this is like i once again i'm gonna go back to rocky four in rocky four Ivan drago was just this man who didn't really need any backstory whatsoever he was just a, a steroid taking large man that doesn't care if he kills people in the ring he's Compare- a project yeah. yeah, compare that to Creed 2, where he's this man that you feel sorry for because his wife left him and he let his entire country down. And he's so angry that he infuses that anger into his son, Victor. And Victor is like a little child that just wants mommy to love him and, and recognize him, right? And then at the end of the film, uh, it's Drago that throws the towel in to save his son. And he gets that moment in the movie. So, and I think that's like a perfect example of where we are today with how we see uh, certain black and white characters and where we were in the 80s. You know, it, people ask why now. People want to see why bad people are bad. And that's why a movie like Joker does so well. So, mm. yeah, to me, that I had a huge problem. All that to say why, why I had a huge problem with Principal Vernon's mean streak in this movie. But anyway... So uh, I- yeah, I actually do have an answer to that. For for one, though, Principal Vernon, though, when she's when he's having that conversation with the janitor, you know, it, it's not some he is he's he's bitter because he's not wondering why like like these kids are being the way they are cuz he's trying to be honestly, I think a good principal. However, um the one big the one big factor that he says was that these kids are going to be the next generation to take care of us, of mm-hmm. to take care of me. Mm-hmm. And it's like he had this goal in mind, like if we don't do anything, especially for for uh, Bender's character, like obviously that's his, what was his main focus. Like if we don't take care of these kids or if we don't do something about it, you know, we're not going to last kind of mm-hmm. thing. So that I feel like that was his MO, was just knowing that he doesn't want his life when he's retired and old to have these next generation of these kids 
who think that they're entitled or whatever, which is kind mm. of funny though, because we look at our life now and <laughs> there's a lot of those post millennial entitlement th- being thrown away or, uh, being thrown around. But I think that was basically his concern. I I was really curious though about this about that scene again with Principal Vernon when he's looking through the confidential files. Yeah, that's just shady teachers. too. Yeah, I was like. I wouldn't be surprised if that really did happen, and that, that still stays today. In this, that, you know, that guy should be fired. To be honest with you, <laughs> I, I don't disagree. I yeah. think like yeah, like you do that. And the funny thing though, for the janitor to say, you know, do you have fifty bucks <laughs> to keep his yeah. mouth shut? Yeah. And then they end up sitting there and then having like and a beer. And then, yeah. like, not even just one beer. You see cans of beers yeah. that they've been drinking. Like I wouldn't be surprised. There's one more thing that looking back, I feel like doesn't hold up is uh, Molly Ringwald's performance. Um, she was a really pretty girl back then. I think she was the idea of what, um, you know, people, the, the kind of girl that guys that crushes on in high school back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Rewatching this, man, uh, she was pretty, <laughs> pretty bad. Like when she really? would pout, when she would pout and she would like just kind of express frustration, it was like, you know, in terms of one to 10 on the anger scale, she was a 10 or like a uh-huh. two, you know, uh-huh. there's no in between, there was no nuance. So yeah, I, I, it was cringeworthy. Really? In my opinion, the worst out of all of the, the Brad Packers. So. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Do yeah. you think she was, well, well do, okay. First of all, do you think she's attractive at all? Yeah. She's cute. She's like what do you, you think, yeah. Go ahead. Well, do, do you think, do you think that she was more attractive in 16 candles or more attractive in, um, in breakfast club uh more attractive in the breakfast club but that's just her character she was supposed to be the unattainable girl you know Mm -hmm. the one that everyone liked you know so what about pretty in pink uh i don't remember it i i I saw it a long time ago but i don't remember it yeah she i think to me was the most attractive in pretty in pink oh yeah and and i will say because of her character like you're saying right now too Mm -hmm. yeah so will what is your review of this film um and has it changed from when you first saw it to now no, I, I have stuck with always giving this film uh, a strong four out of five stars. Okay. The 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 biggest um, thing that you'll always see when it comes to uh, films like these these teen films is that there'll always be a certain relevance to to it, just evolved uh, maybe decades later when some other director or someone else gets this idea and then sees what it's like now but have the same kind of ingredients and, and whatnot like that. Yeah. There are always going to be elements mm-hmm. of, of, sure. of that structure. Yeah. Just, we're going to look at it a different light now though, because it's been, it's, it's, we've, we've grown up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I think that there's always going to be a trend. There's always going to be, um, there's always going to be that typical, f- uh, uh, identity of fitting in always going to be there. And also I think that there's always going to be the, uh, what I think this film also really, really uh, emphasized on parent to child relationship to, mm. to which kind of shapes yeah. their personality and, and yes. who they are and who they're trying to be, not because they want to be, but because their parents want, parents to want be. them to be. Yeah. Yes. So my overall review of the film has changed since I first saw all these scenes and watched it all the way through 10 years ago. I would have said that it was a four star movie back then. I now have the movie down a half star. I give it three and a half stars now. 
And the drop, the drop in the half star really is due solely to the changed mindset of society as a whole. And because yes. of that, I feel like the movie hasn't aged as well. Things are just a lot less black and white as they were back in the 80s or even the 90s. But at the same time, the true deeper meaning of this movie, like we talked about, like you just said, uh, what do parents' expectations of their kids, how does that change and shape and mold them? Uh, that still rings true, as well as the idea of uh, just don't label me. Um, I'm a lot like you. I'm more like you than, you know, uh, maybe we originally thought. All right. So that was our discussion about Tiger Tail as well as The Breakfast Club. And it turns out that our little talk about The Breakfast Club turned into a bigger discussion on parent-child relationships as well as society. <laughs> but that's okay, because I think that's what movies are there for, to ask us to look at our, our own lives a little bit differently. But uh, anyhow, yeah. that is our show for today. Next week, we will be reviewing uh, Capone, starring Tom Hardy, as well as taking a look back at one of my favorite films, The Dark Knight. Hopefully, you'll Dark tune Knight. in then. Dark Knight. Dark Knight. Dark Knight. So, see you then. Ah. See you then. Ah. Ah.